here's a crazy idea. <laughs> if you can make a universe, right? Mm-hmm. You can make a universe. What if we could sculpt with Big Bangs? Professor Matthew. Good morning, sir. Good morning. How was your weekend? How was your week? Uh, the week in the Cape was good. We had uh, beautiful weather. It was very nice. Oh, I love Cape Cod. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, good place for thinking about uh, tides and, you know, clear skies, all the kinds of things, all, all the connections to the natural world that you don't get here in New York. Yeah. And fried yeah. shrimp. And fried shrimp. Yeah. Okay. Um, any kind of sea critter uh, is fried there. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Oh, I love. Uh, I had a friend who um, has a house on uh, Cape Cod and went there every summer growing up. I just love it. Are you on the bay side or the ocean side? We are on the bay side. Um, uh-huh. So, water's a little warmer, somewhat fewer sharks. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah and it can be the, the bay can be so placid. Exactly. Sometimes, right. yeah. like a mirror. And the sun sets behind the Provincetown Tower. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's very nice. Do you have that? Yeah. Um, beautiful. One of my favorite things at Cape Cod, there were so many things, was Highland Light, the lighthouse. Mm. I oh, I don't think I've been there. Oh, really? No. Oh, it's beautiful. They, they, one summer when I was there, they, they had to move it inland because the whole, oh. you know, mm-hmm. oh, the Cape mm-hmm. is eroding rapidly. And so we got to see them, you know, they had hoisted it up and they moved it imperceptibly slowly, but uh, pulled it in quite a distance, actually. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, yeah. Like I say, that's, I don't know, it says something strange about our civilization that we will just pick up entire buildings and move them um, <laughs> instead of just, say, building a new one. Um, but yeah, we do that kind of thing a lot. Why do you think that is? I don't know. So we, we just uh, attach to our particular buildings. Um, we like our feats of strength. Uh, I don't know what it is. It's like when they, you know, raised half of Chicago a hundred years ago to make the river go the other way. Um, I mean, that's just crazy. That's just yeah. a crazy thing to do. Like this river is running the wrong way. So let's just jack up this whole city. Yeah. That's when men would do such things. Going. <laughs> do we <laughs> we're going to reverse the river yeah exactly it's, yeah, it's a sort of Panama Canal era of things um, let's uh, uh, yeah let's just uh, literally move a whole city and it's, it's no big deal um, geosculpting geosculpting yeah um, you ever hear of Project Plowshare no what's back that? in the early Cold War um, in the uh, the 50s in, a, in an attempt to uh, improve the public relations image of the hydrogen bomb, um, Edward Teller and friends got together and tried to figure out peaceful uses for nuclear weapons. Um, oh. So things like oh, cool. for mining or could we make a, um, a new canal or a new harbor or something? Teller liked to joke. Uh, he said, if your mountain's in the wrong place, give us a call. <laughs> <laughs> 
But, but they knew from the beginning that that would leave a radioactive um, uh, place, Sort right? of. Um, they, they did not anticipate uh, how bad it would be. So mm. most of the, um, uh, the nuclear detonations in the early Cold War, like Hiroshima and Nagasaki, were um, oh, what are called airbursts, where you, you set off the bomb some distance, you know, thousands right. of feet above the ground to maximize energy delivery. And when you get an airburst, uh, when you do an airburst, you don't get um, a lot of radioactive fallout because fallout is usually um, ash and dirt that's kind of sucked through the mushroom cloud and absorbs a lot of radioactivity. So if you detonate it high in the air, you don't get a lot of ash sucked up. But if you detonate it right at the surface or under the surface, then you get an enormous amount of fallout. Um, so this is the kind of thing that there's no good, like there aren't many reasons to bury a nuclear bomb before setting it off unless you're doing something like trying to build a canal. Um, so pl the plowshare experiments were actually some of the things that, that taught people how bad the, the fallout could be. Oh, that's interesting. I love how they, they, it was that it was going to try to, it was the act of trying to do something peaceful. That's right. That really that taught them that maybe these weapons are bad. <laughs> They're even worse than we thought. Um, I mean, it was one thing to just like incinerate, you know, vast amounts of people, but you know, you don't want a radioactive bay. No, and this is, uh, but they, you know, they had lots of ideas. Like there was this, uh, one of their plans was to blast a new harbor up in Alaska. Um, because you know, the circular shape is pretty good shape for a Harbor. Um, so you just plunk it down all of a sudden your, your nearby town has a new Harbor. Um, and, uh, planning went ahead before they bothered, like asking any of the people who live there. So that's right. what, <laughs> you how would you feel your... about having a new Harbor? Well, I guess that'd be okay. Well, how, what if we blasted it with a, an H bombs? Well, <laughs> this wouldn't be so great. That's interesting. I had never quite thought about that, that about the difference between the air burst and the ground sculpture. Ground burst. Yeah. Because I guess um, it has always puzzled me a little bit that I actually have a friend that lives in Hiroshima. And uh, clearly it's not, I guess it's not radioactive. I mean, I don't know how long. It, was that not a, I mean, this is a, a gross topic, but was that a thing? Did the place stay radioactive for a um, while and then disappear? No, so the, uh, when... A nuclear weapon detonates, you get an initial pulse of radiation that mm. comes comes from the initial fission process, um, and that's transient, right? Mm. So, uh, and then the fallout is the, the sort of material substance that is still radioactive. So the fallout lingers, essentially radioactive dirt. Um, so if you have um, a fairly small airburst, like you did at uh, Hiroshima. Um, then you just get the transient radiation. So when people got radiation poisoning from that mm -hmm. explosion, that was from the initial wave of radiation. Mm -hmm. um, but there wasn't a lot of the actual fallout. So you can stroll around Hiroshima today and then you'd never know there was anything wrong. Um, right. But right. if you... So for mm -hmm. sculpting... Well, yeah, but right. if you go to like the, the test sites in um, the United States Southwest, which were often ground bursts or underground tests, um, those are intensely radioactive and will stay so for a very long time. Oh, wow. But not like... Uh, you can visit the Trinity site? Is that right? The first bomb? You can, yep. And, but that was an air mm -hmm. Yeah, well, I think one day, one day a year they, they open it up. They turn off the radiation? 
um, no, I think it would t- probably technically it was uh, the Trinity test was on top of a tower. I want to say it was like 50, 60 right. feet high, but that should still count as a ground burst. Um, but by modern standards, it was such a small explosion that didn't didn't cause a lot of trouble. Oh, so for for sculpting, I guess what what I find fascinating is that the idea was dropped clearly, hmm. which means that either they haven't worked on the problem more, or is there no middle ground between? Clearly, you would have to evacuate people and hopefully all living things from a place you're about to blast, but there's no air burst. So air burst, okay, radiation-wise. It'll go away fairly quickly. But but it's not going to move much dirt. It won't move much dirt. And so there's, oh, is the problem that the radiation from the bomb goes right into the dirt and that's why the place stays radioactive? Yeah, yeah. that's uh, essentially it. So I should say that like the solution to fallout is if you have radioactive fallout in an area is you sweep it up. Uh, and then stick it in a sack and stick the sack somewhere else um, because it's literally just radioactive dirt. Wow. Yes. And I should say, actually, you know, I used to work in a uh, laboratory that did fusion work. And after each uh, fusion shot, as we would say, the, um, the, the room where we did this reaction was called the, the shot chamber. It was this, this big kind of um, auditorium size, size room. Uh, everything in there would become slightly radioactive. So we'd have to go in and scrub it down. So we would just scrub off all of the radioactivity. And then we would, then the, uh, you know, the towel you were using to, to wipe it down was now radioactive. So we'd toss it into a barrel. Um, you're wearing like a, a spacesuit? Um, yeah, should be. <laughs> um, safety was not uh, the number one priority at this place. And in fact, um, the the barrels in which they would throw these things were not labeled. So the first time I went into the shot chamber while they were doing the cleaning, I was waiting for somebody. So I just sat down on this nearby barrel uh, and I was there for a few minutes and somebody says, Matt, you know, that's full of radioactive waste, right? And I said, no, I don't know. It's full of radioactive waste. <laughs> How am I supposed to know that? Um, but now I have beautiful identical twin daughters. So I, I was about to say, yeah, <laughs> That test you did that was a test. <laughs> you were that's a, they are it's like a dosimeter. Yep, that's right. You know, um, uh, uh, yes, and uh, hopefully I'm not breaking any kind of you know uh, federal classificatory regulations by telling this story. But yeah, so that was the other thing I was gonna. Ask. <laughs> do Do you watch um, Silicon Valley? No, I don't. Oh, this is a hilarious show, right? Oh, and uh, anyway, there's a it's a sitcom about life in uh, Silicon Valley, obviously. And uh, mm-hmm. but there's this one char- nothing to do with computers or whatever. One of the characters, this guy Jared, every week he comes out with some bizarre. He's like super nerdy. You would never think there was anything unusual or adventurous about this guy at all. He always wants to do the right thing, and you know he's very diligent. But every week he comes, he he'll just say some random thing about his past. <laughs> completely bizarre and usually very dark, you know, about he, he, he knows how to kill people or <laughs> he was <laughs> on a secret mission or, you know, anyway, just all kinds of bizarre stuff. So that's what I was thinking of when you said, <laughs> oh, and by the way, I used to work in a fusion <laughs> research plant. So what's the story with that? Where were you? Oh, it's perfectly straightforward. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, so let's see here. So actually the story begins... 
um, with the uh, nuclear test ban treaty. Okay. Um, which uh, curtailed the detonation of nuclear weapons um, for testing purposes. Because this was like there was this, you know, 20 year period when the United States and Soviet Union were like racing to set off as many bombs as they could mm -hmm. just because it looked cool. Yeah. I guess made them feel macho or something. Yeah. Um, and then people started realizing that there are deleterious effects to this. So the test ban treaty um, was passed. Uh, was but of course, the United States. Uh, yeah, I want to say uh -huh. 72, 73. Right. I'd have to check. Um, but something like that. Uh, but of course, the United States still wanted to build nuclear weapons. Now, we're not going to stop doing that just because we can't test them anymore. So the question became, um, how do you study fusion reactions if you can't actually set off a bomb? So the answer was, let's build a giant fusion reactor um, that essentially can simulate these fusion reactions. So the Department of Energy and the Department of Defense teamed up um, to build uh, a fusion reactor uh, in Rochester, New York, of all places. Um, and fusion, you know, there's this uh, story that, uh, or this, this saying that fusion is always 15 years away. And mm -hmm. it's been that way for 50 years. Right? Fusion, just um, we should say, what is, what, oh, what is yeah. the why so, is fusion special? Yeah, so there's... Um, two common nuclear reactions you can use to liberate uh, energy in the E equals MC squared sense. One is fission. Um, that's what you get when you take something like um, plutonium or uranium and crack it open with a neutron. Uh, and, then it, and then it forms uh, um, uh, smaller elements and releases some energy and releases some more neutrons. And those neutrons can then be used to split more atoms so you can get what we call a chain reaction. Right. So if you just take enough plutonium and you stick it in one place, eventually it will start a fission reaction um, right. and generate energy. And every, every time an atom splits, um, so even just one atom, you get a little, you get energy. That's right. Yep. Comes out. Um, and it's a, that's right. It's a tiny amount, but there's a lot of atoms yeah. in a, a lump of plutonium. Um, so like the fusion, if you have a um, nuclear reactor, nuclear power plant near your house, it runs on fission. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, because you can set up the chain reaction uh, so it's a self-sustaining reaction and it's relatively easy to control um, as long as you're not um, doing something stupid yeah. like that Chernobyl where you shut off all your safety uh, equipment before you run out of yeah. That's neither here nor there. Um, so that's like they have to keep it very cool as part of it. Uh, that's right, because it generates an enormous amount of heat, right. um, which is why it's good, right? Because that's, that's heat that you can capture ah, right. to generate electricity or whatever right. you want. Um, but the trick is to keep it right. under control. But we're actually pretty good at that, right? Like the, the number of Americans who have died from nuclear accident, from commercial nuclear accidents in the United States is zero. Oh, wow. Right? I didn't know That's that. amazing, right? Compare that to like the number of people that from coal. Yeah. I thought you were about to say maybe three because I Well, that's I think the thing, right? I mean, the, the Three Mile Islands, Islands, the worst nuclear accident in the history of the United States, um, no one was hurt. Right. Right. That's amazing. Um, anyway, um, yeah. so that's fission. Yeah. Um, and the Hiroshima and Nagasaki bombs were fission bombs as well. Now, fusion is sort of the opposite. So fission is where you take a heavy atom um, and split it into smaller bits. And that releases some energy. If you live in New York City, you've got about a one in three chance that the electricity you're using to listen to this started from the splitting of a uranium atom. Fusion is when you take 
light atoms like hydrogen and smash them together to make a heavier atom. And it turns out that releases energy too. Now, sometimes um, people get puzzled by this because they're like, wait, how can you get energy both from splitting atoms and unsplitting atoms? Um, and the answer is that uh, you can get lots of good energy production from really light elements or really heavy elements. And then as you get sort of towards the middle of the periodic table, you get less and less energy liberated from these processes, um, essentially until you get to iron. And then iron can, can neither give you fusion nor fission energy. That's just lazy. Uh-huh. Oh, it's lazy. So the so the don't let Tony the Tiger from Frosted Flakes <laughs> tell you that having iron added to his cereal is is going to give you energy. Uh, assuming you're running nuclear reactions, yeah, that's right. Because if you're if you're fueling your reactor with Frosted Flakes, um, the iron will not help. Well, that's why they have to counteract it with sugar. <laughs> <laughs> so, in fact, what it should say is it's like iron cereal fortified with sugar for energy. <laughs> They're great. <laughs> so so fission heavy fission is heavy atoms fusion is light smash light things together right yes yeah, so the so the sun runs on fusion right the, the reason the universe is is bright is because of fusion hydrogen atoms smashing into bigger atoms oh so when you look when you look up at the sky mm-hmm. you are and you see all the stars what you are seeing is actually burning hydrogen. Yep, that's right. It's like hydrogen fires, mm-hmm. the hydrogen campfires. That's right. <laughs> yeah, scattered uh, across the universe. Above your head. Yeah, cool. Um, and if the, if the star is big enough, that, so I should say to um, hydrogen is relatively easy to fuse because it's small. But hydrogen, is the, is, hydrogen is vastly you know, far and away the most common stuff in the universe. Um, so most stars burn on that. And also you can only get, and I should say it's the, um, you know, the reason we have bigger elements like carbon or oxygen, uh, you know, the stuff that you're made of is because of this fusion process. Right, so once upon a time, before stars started cooking, for the most part, the, the universe is just hydrogen. And then once stars start lighting up, then they begin cooking the hydrogen into heavier elements and heavier elements and heavier elements, um, uh, all the way up to iron as well, because that's the, the point at which fusion stops being useful. So with these campfires mm-hmm. over your head, it's as if, you know, they, put all, they, they are emitting uh, light and heat and all... Also, kind of, kind of like smoke—the smoke coming off the campfire, <laughs> and the smoke coming off the campfire, the, the residue that you know, whatever happened inside the flames, or in making the flames, all this smoke comes off, and it's made of different elements. The bigger the star, the more element, more different kinds of elements it can make. The bigger the elements, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, yeah. And your the, the metaphor there of the smoke coming off is pretty exact, oh. actually. Right. So the. The, the heavy elements that you are made of are um, are literally the byproduct of a burning process. Right? Oh, that's wow. that's ash. Right. Right? So this this is where Sagan gets his famous saying that you are literally stardust. Oh. Well, he could have said he was the poet. 
Yeah. Because he could have said, we are all made of star soot. Star soot. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and that doesn't work. Quite so yeah. Well. yeah. Um, but probably more accurate. Right. Uh, but the question is, you know, these um, heavy elements are cooked up inside the centers of giant stars. And you do not live inside the center of a giant star. Right. So, so how did those elements get out? Right. 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 So, right. It doesn't do any right. good to, to bake some delicious cookies if you can't open up the oven right. to take them out. Right. Yes. Um, so the answer is that giant stars blow themselves up after a while. Uh-huh. Uh, so, and it's actually, it's, it's directly related to the same process. So if you imagine a really uh, you know, giant blue star, something like that, um, that cooks things really hot and really fast, is at the center um, <clears throat> where the, the reactions take place. It's burning and it's burning and it's taking all the hydrogen it has and, and cooking it into bigger atoms. And then the bigger atoms get cooked into bigger atoms and cooked into bigger atoms. And each, t- each time um, the star has to use bigger atoms for the reaction, it then becomes this race where the, the star is trying to use all the fuel it has. And then eventually, um, it'll run out of fuel. So it's as if in the process of making a cookie, I love this, and this is much better than soot or dust. I mean, see? We are all made of star cookies. <laughs> uh, so it's as if, you know, every time you make a cookie, heat comes out. And that heat is what's heating the oven that makes more, that allows more cookies to be made. Okay, that could be. Actually, you know what? How about this? Every time you bake a cookie, it makes you a little more hungry. So then you eat the cookie because you're hungry. But the process, but now you're hungry again. So you need to bake more cookies. So you have something to eat. But the process of baking the cookies then makes you hungry again. So this, and the star is the thing that's being hungry, becoming hungry. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. That's right. So, so you keep baking, you, you bake your cookies faster and faster and faster. Um, until eventually you run out of ingredients. And then what happens? Well, you collapse on the kitchen floor and sob, right? Um, and the stellar equivalent of that is a supernova. Really heavy elements like uranium um, is, are produced in that just few minutes of the supernova collapse. So everything smashes down together and goes boom. And then those heavy elements that have been cooking for millions of years get hurled out into the universe and eventually get. Yeah, turn it us. And then back into cookies. Back into cookies. That's right. It's all about the cookies. Well, not back into cookies. <laughs> into cookies. <laughs> it's, it's as if to get the cookies out of... Well, it's as if in the universe, originally there was just hydrogen, but then there was this, you know, a star began to form, so there was this one oven. And in that oven, you know, it was a bunch of hydrogen too. But as the gravity brought it all together, different elements started to form. So it's kind of like you started getting all these cookies. But then when all that dough is used up, the oven exploded and all the cookies came out. (laughs) That's right. Um, Yep, that's right. And then your neighbors are like, oh, free cookies. Right. Which is is essentially where our solar system comes from, right? So every, every atom in our planet that is not hydrogen, helium, or a teeny bit of lithium, um, was cooked inside a star at some point right. Right. and then hurled out and eventually condensed into us. 
Right. So whatever metaphor, choose your metaphor. You've got campfires over your head <laughs> that are burning hydrogen and, and other atoms. And the soot that comes off is made up of different elements that didn't exist before. Right. And that fills the universe. And eventually some of those different kinds of elements uh, collected in this part of the world and you became, you were born. And it was used to make you. Or there are, now this could be more fun. Like, you remember the screensaver, the flying toasters? Oh, sure. There was a computer screensaver, right? Classic. So it's like, instead of toasters, there's uh, ovens, like little holly hobby, you know, cook it yourself ovens floating around in space. Easy bake ovens. Easy bake ovens floating around in Mm -hmm. space, making cookies, but you don't get the cookies until they blow up. Until it explodes. Right. Yeah, that's right. Um, and for exactly the same reason, you, you can't get the elements out of the star for the same reason you can't get the cookies out of the oven, which is you would burn the hell out of your hand if you reached uh, inside. Right. Right. You have to wait for that's, it to naturally explode. Right. So it's possible that if, um, if in the original universe, in the early universe, when there was just hydrogen around, if mm-hmm. if the hydro, if gravity had been less strong right. for whatever reason, not a single hydrogen atom ever got close to another one. Ever fused? Yep, that's right. And fused. Um, then mm-hmm. it would still just be a pool. It would just be a vast cloud of hydrogen. It would just be a cloud of hydrogen, like the Hindenburg. <laughs> <laughs> Well, except, in you fact, know, in, yeah. order, in order for the Hindenburg to explode, you need some free oxygen, right, to combine with that hydrogen. Right. So, in fact, the, the universe in which is all hydrogen is totally safe because there's nothing for the hydrogen to combine with to explode. So you can run right. around with your Zippo in that universe as much as you want and you'll be fine. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you'll, you'll... So it was a fireproof... It, right, that's interesting. Without oxygen, you can't make fire. And so in this hydrogen-only universe, it was a fireproof mm-hmm. universe, literally, right. because there were no stars. Yeah. I mean, an, an extremely uninteresting universe, too, I should say, right? So it's not just that there's no right. uh, people or no cookies, but there's no carbon, right? There's no, there's no silicon. There's no rock. Um, right. It's just this undifferentiated gas. Now, it's interesting you said uh, uninteresting. Because this is this is a phrase, an expression that uh, you know scientists, mathematicians uh, use often when the solution to some problem or imaginary problem or an actual condition that exists mm-hmm. is uh, not complicated right. or dynamic. It's not moving. Nothing's happening. It's placid. They call that uninteresting, right. which I find interesting. <laughs> I challenge that notion. I think that would be weird. Or, or wait, or, are you calling my uninteresting interesting? Right. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. A vicious cycle of interest. It's yeah. It's interesting because it's pure and it's rare. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay. And it is possible that in you know just to touch on the multi-universe idea mm-hmm. that if our universe is one bubble among many universes, it's possible that ours is the so-called interesting one. If you're going to say the complex dynamic right. one, mm-hmm. and around us. Are a bunch, you know, if gravity is less than these other universes or, or, you know, things are different. Maybe they just have much, much, much less hydrogen in them. Mm-hmm. 
Well, that's that's right. So you can, you know, if you just picked, so you're making a new universe, right? Yeah. Like you do. Yes. And you pick a gravitational constant at random from all possible values. Most of the universes you make are going to be uninteresting in that sense because either gravity won't be intense enough to start a fusion reaction or it'll be so intense that the stars just collapse right into black holes. And then there's this particular balance that gives us uh, an intense enough gravity that you get fusion, but not so intense that nothing interesting can stick around for a while. Then one of the questions you might ask is, should you be surprised that you live in one of these universes where interesting things happen? Of, of all the possible universes that could exist, you happen to live in the one with cookies. You have such hubris that you call your universe the interesting one. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Now, now to get back to sculpting, mm-hmm. here's a crazy idea. <laughs> if you can make a universe, right? You can make a universe. Mm-hmm. What if, you, you know, basically you can, what if we could sculpt with Big Bangs? Or little bangs. So we don't know. Is it? It's true. We don't have any idea what made the Big Bang happen. Yeah, there. I mean, there are people that are argue that with you, but that's okay. Okay. But anyway, let's suppose we. You know, suppose you took a. You could create a universe, and you dropped it in that bay in Alaska. <laughs> Does one universe push away the other? Like, how does that? How would that work? Oh, well, this is, believe it or not, this is actually a, um, a, a serious topic of conversation among cosmologists because that is a question you need to answer. Right. So to make a simple visualization, it's going back to the idea of using a nuclear bomb. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hydrogen bomb is what we were talking about. Dropping it on the, or, or burying it under part of Alaska by the seashore, blowing it up and boom, it turning into a circular bay Mm -hmm. that didn't exist before. If the exploding of that bomb actually created a universe, if that was a universe being created as that bomb exploded. Yeah. Yeah. And, and universes like ours anyway, um, tend to expand, Mm. uh, quite rapidly. So you would essentially have a universe expanding inside Alaska and there's a lot of open space in Alaska, but not that much. <laughs> uh, so I should say this is the this is where the debates um, occur. So it's clear that something interesting would happen at the boundary of one universe meeting another. Right. Um, exactly what is unclear. So it might just be that the new new universe overwrites the existing one, and we just get we just get deleted. Or something interesting might happen at the edges where where the two universes are meeting. And of course, they're meeting in probably 11 dimensions, if you believe the strength theorists. This is actually a super important question, because if you believe in the multi-universe theory, and specifically the, the kind of bubble universe version, in which there's lots of universes existing simultaneously, just kind of next to each other, then one of the ways, uh, you know, the question you always want to ask yourself for this sort of crazy thing is how can I check to see if that idea is correct? How can I check to see if there's multiple universes out there? And one of the answers would be 
well, let's figure out what would happen where one universe meets another and, you know, the edges, as it were. Uh, and then is that going to produce something that we then see? Right. 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 So I might sit down and do my calculations and say, all right, when I've got two universes hitting each other, it'll produce gamma rays at this particular frequency or we'll create a cosmological structure shaped like a dog or I don't know, right? So, and, then, and then I can look and see. Or some kind of weird smearing, some kind of bizarre optical illusion. Yeah. And that's, um, you know, this is part of the conversation in cosmology these days is what uh, is, is, is the, the question of multiple universes in this sense a testable hypothesis? Right. And a lot rides on this, actually, because, you know, there, there are criticisms of cosmology or of the multiple universe theory that, that people say it's not even a scientific idea because it's not testable. Then other people, defenders of the theory, then say, well, just give us a little bit of time and we'll, we'll find a way to do it. Right. But meanwhile, the people of Alaska are like, hello, this thing is coming at us. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> There's the universe expanding underneath us. We would like uh, to know what's going to happen. We don't, you know, a, a study, a commission is just not going to be. <laughs> um, and this is why you don't put Edward Teller in charge of creating universes. <laughs> yeah, you would just go for it. <laughs> but I, but this is this is Nobel Prize level kind of stuff here. That if, if, if the person who figures out um, what two interacting universes looks like, yeah. And then if that observation gets done, that's Nobel Prize level kind of stuff. Right. And it'll be, you know, if you could contain the, the thing that would really be magic and powerful is you can, this bomb goes off, creates a new universe. Mm-hmm. It's like a little bang, mm-hmm. creates a little universe, and you can contain or sometime, somehow freeze the expansion of that universe at whatever size you want. Oh, that would be very handy. Yeah. And then you could move that universe away like a balloon or maybe you could pop it. That would be totally bizarre. Uh, that could be. You carry it around um, and then you would, you know, watch your universe very intensely and see if it evolved creatures able to theorize about their own little bang. Right. Who then got together and decided they could figure out how to expand their universe. Yeah. And then they do the same. And now you have a... Now you have yep. And it's Alaska all the way down. Yeah. <laughs> Look it up. Turtles all the way down. It's excellent. That's a beautiful, beautiful story. Well, this is fantastic. I mean, I think... I, I should think hope the so. people of Alaska are going to yes. thank us. I mean, I think it's going to work out fine. You know, it's going to be beautiful. The reindeer, everybody will be fine. They're going to love it. Thank you for helping us transform not just one universe today, but two. With Universe Cookies. Universe Cookies. Um, trademarked. Soon soon to be sold through the website. Yes, the web. <laughs> what a wonderful segue that was. Uh, what if... <laughs> dot com. Check it out. You can learn about... At the moment, you can learn about uh, only two extremely important things in the universe, and that's me and Matt. <laughs> <laughs> Someday, perhaps, we'll include more information um, I, I keep saying it. If I say it enough times, maybe I'll actually do it, or maybe we'll find someone who can help us <laughs> take each show and sort of pull out some of the things we mentioned and give some links to pictures or other, um, other things. But 
One thing you can do is say hello to us. We would love to hear from you, and we'd love to hear how you enjoy the show and, and any questions you have that we can say uh, what the if to would be fantastic. So uh, what the if.com. Matt, thank you as always. Farewell, sir. Farewell. Have a wonderful week, and we'll see you next time.